0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Volrath Feed. I'm your host Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef here at the Volrath Company and I'm joined today as always by our co-host and executive producer Justin Pearson. Hey Justin, how's it going?
1: Doing quite well Rich, thank you very much. And what about yourself?
0: Yeah, doing good. Doing a good uh, so far today, we'll see, uh, looks like we're going to have a good day again. We're recording our podcast so that's always a good part of our day,
1: right? Yeah, it's always a bright spot for sure.
0: Yeah. And on that uh, note, why don't we just go ahead and say to everybody, you know, we we love doing this. We really do. But we also just want to hear what people think of the podcast. We want to hear what you want us to talk about or you have any ideas or thoughts of any kind. Please reach out to us, walrathfoodservice.com, the feed, and let us know anything that's on your mind about the feed. We'd love to hear from you.
1: And and in addition to that, if you would take a moment to hit that subscribe button so that you can stay connected with us so you don't miss another moment with a chef or food service industry professional again. Right. Getting to today's show, talking
0: about food service professionals, everything kind of looks like we planned this, like it's just kind of rolling together. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny how it's worked. Anyway, uh, thinking about food service professionals... You know, we always talk about our show in that it is food service end-to-end, right? Everything that's in between. And today is going to be one of those shows where some of our guests may not put a connection to it right away when we say NAFM, um, North American Food Equipment Manufacturers. It's an association that Volrath is a part of, as, as well as many other equipment manufacturers. But today we have as a guest on our show, uh, Deirdre Flynn, who is the Executive Vice President of NAFM. so it'll it'll be interesting to hear from her and uh, getting another side again to our industry. But I'm willing to bet it's going to be one of those days where we're going to learn a lot. Our listeners are going to learn a lot because it's something that we don't always get involved with, right?
1: Oh, undoubtedly. And you, you, no matter what your craft is, there's guaranteed to be some sort of trade show out there for it. You know, that's how we've stayed up to date on new technologies and and you know, competitors' products and all sorts of things that, that you might not normally run across in your everyday life. Even, even if you're signed up with email blasts and all sorts of things, there's nothing that quite replaces the experience of going to a trade show. Right. And, and the NAFM show in 2021 was canceled, so I'm sure we'll get into
0: that a little bit with, with Deirdre. But, you know, you talk about trade shows with industries, but NAFM does a lot. They, they are an advocate right they um they lobby they have marketing efforts they have education Uh, they're doing a lot for the membership and they have they've been i looked them up here a little bit they've got 70 years they've been in existence representing over 600 food service equipment and supplies manufacturers they've got a lot going on a lot of customers a lot of um, food service equipment manufacturer i guess would be their customer also end users, I suppose, right? So they they kind of look out for the industry and, again, that advocate for anything that's that's going to benefit our
1: industry. Mm-hmm. With everything else that has been altered or changed in some way from the pandemic, most definitely NAFM has been affected. And it'll be interesting to see and hear... How they are moving ahead in the future, you know what changes that they're making so mm-hmm. that they can still stay connected and relevant to to all of the people that they serve.
0: I know they've got a couple of initiatives that they've started as a result of the pandemic, and I'll say it again, and we've said it in other podcasts as well. You know, really being proud of our industry and how they've stepped up with helping people during the pandemic. And NAFM, I know they've got a push on for helping with feeding America. They they had some Donations. I think they matched, and they really got involved in, in that side of the of uh, helping people from our industry. So once again, another just a good story to hear about people in our industry doing what they can during this time for other people.
1: Yeah, that's really what it is all about. Yes, yes. So, Rich, NAFM is a massive, massive trade show. I mean, there's so many people, so many booths, so much going on. I was just curious, what what is your typical day? in our booth at NAFM look like well that is
0: you know we get there well before the crowd well before the doors open um well actually we're there days obviously before this is a big show we have a a large booth and some years our booth has been um you know 30 or 40 feet wide by let's say 150 long And, Mm. you know, we set up little vignettes of product and it's, it's a lot of work putting this thing together. And of course that I'd be remiss if I didn't say about all the planning that goes into getting to that day, right. Of all the people building product and laying out the booth and planning the booth. And it's a big undertaking. These, these are not small little shows. These are huge. This is one of the, this is probably the second biggest show we go to all year. And again, it's a, it's a big undertaking and we, during the show days, we're there for uh, again well before guests making sure everything is running properly and over you know during the night um, a lot of cleaning takes place so things are dusty and we have to uh, make sure our booth looks good but then we're there uh, game on when the show opens and it's kind of fun when you're there and you can see like the the doors to the to the hall open and it's just a a continual line of people coming in and um, coming into your booth and uh, it's it's kind of a kind of a chaotic start some days because it's so busy but um, most of us really enjoy the part of getting to talk to customers that's that's the part our dealers and our end user customers that come to the show when they come in the booth and get to say hi to people you haven't seen in a long time you know it's kind of a regular thing that they come back to these shows and maybe that's the one show they do each year this shows it's been in Orlando now the last several years and I think it's scheduled to stay there so it's fun. It's a it's a fun day. It's a long day. Don't get me wrong. When I'm done, <laughs> you know, my wife always says, you're so lucky you get to go to these places. But what she doesn't realize is because I've been sitting in a booth all day, maybe nibbling on a slice of pizza if I can find it, or you go to a lunch stand somewhere and get a sandwich. After the show, I don't want to go to dinner. <laughs> I'll go grab a sack of uh, sub sandwiches somewhere and go back to my hotel with a beverage and that's it for me, and getting ready for the next day. So it's mm-hmm. they're long days, but they're fun. They're talking yeah. to customers is the fun part.
1: Yeah, and it's it. NAFM is a biannual event, and this was going to be my first one going to. I was really looking forward to it. You know, filming and photographing. So I I, I was I was bummed when it wasn't happening. But you know, obviously we understand why. But is there a moment in all the years that you've been doing this that this stands out in your mind, something that you know, was unusual or crazy or a particularly memorable customer? Hmm.
0: People try not to be memorable.
1: <laughs> <In> a, <laughs> you know, the, the, that would be something crazy that
0: happened that would be so memorable, and I think people try to avoid that at all costs. Now, that's during show hours. After show hours, well, now, um, yeah, there's... Back in the day, I suppose, there was a little bit more... Of uh, not not a sack of subs afterwards, but we went out a little bit and <laughs> it, it was it was a little fun and um, yeah some of those are how does uh, when at NAFM, what happens at NAFM stays at Naffham should NAFM. Just say that way because <laughs> I'm sure that uh, people would appreciate that uh, that staying quiet but we did have fun we had our share of fun for sure sure sure. Justin, I, I want to get with our guest, uh, Deirdre. I think it's it's going to be one of those shows where we wish we had more time. So don't want to put it off any longer. I think it's time to, to get to bring Deirdre on the show. So, once again, everyone, Deirdre Flynn, the Executive Vice President of NAFM. Deirdre, welcome to the Volrath feed.
2: Thanks so much
0: for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Our pleasure. I know we were just chatting a little bit. Uh, it's been a long time, but you've been in the industry a, a long time at with NAFM quite a number of years. What is your story? How did you get into to NAFM, and, and what brought you to today?
2: So when I left college, I moved uh, from the East Coast to Chicago because in those days, girls followed boys wherever they were going, and uh-huh. the person I was involved with at the time was heading to law school in Chicago. And I never went back. I always thought I'd be here for a short period of time and and then go back to the East Coast. But I stumbled upon a company called Smith Buckland, which was a trade association management firm, and they managed NAFM at the time. Um, and I actually was a journalist before that. I worked for a daily newspaper in Connecticut, and I took my writing test to join the marketing and communications and PR division of Smith Buckland on the NAFM 81 trade show. So from 81 until about 95, I exclusively did marketing and communications for the, for the NAFM show. And then in 1995, we, so we used to treat NAFM as there was NAFM show and there was NAFM regular. So NAFM show felt like we ruled because that was the big thing that NAFM as an association did. And um, uh, the people that did everything else, all the other programs that NAFM supported as a trade association for its members. We thought that it was kind of second fiddle to things, but by the mid nineties, we recognized that NAFM was the whole of all of its parts. And we started to merge NAFM show and NAFM regular as all NAFM programs, with obviously the show being a, a huge financial engine for the trade association. So at that point in time, I started managing overall marketing for NAFM and not just show marketing. And then in 2002, NAFM decided in 2001, actually, they started the process to um, go to what we call self-op and come out from under a management company managing its affairs, because NAFM was the only organization in the panel for our industry that was not self-operated. And uh, I had the opportunity to work with. About 60 different trade, uh, 60 different associations in my time at Smith Buckland across trade, healthcare, technology. Um, we grew the division went from six people when I started to 65 people when I left, um, and it was a great 20 year run. But now came a calling and said, we're going to go self up, and would you consider moving into the overall executive role for Anthem? And that's
0: how I got here. Well, you have been the, the face of NAFM, I would say, for many years. For I mean, I've been at Ballrath for 21 years now. And, um, you know, it's always been NAFM. And yeah, we been talked, been. Talked, we've talked, we've been to trade shows, we've been committees and things together. And food service, is it, um, was it the organization? I, it, where I'm going, I guess, is that I hear from so many people that it's like, oh, Deirdre, she, she bleeds food service. Whatever. I don't know if that's chicken stock or red wine, but she bleeds uh, food service so much and she has such a passion. And, you know, where does that come from? That passion you have for just this drive that you, everyone you talk to about you tells me about?
2: Well, you know, it's hard not to like hospitality. You know, it's a high touch industry, mm-hmm. it's about bringing people together and connecting. And it's usually around, significant events or happy times. You come together at a table for a meal. And one of the things that always attracted me to NAFAM was, um, NAFAM members are incredibly entrepreneurial. It's manufacturing. So it's, you can understand what somebody does. There's a start and there's an end. At the end comes a product. That product I can experience as a consumer And understand how it comes together. You know, at Smith Buckland, we represented 150 different associations. And when you said to somebody, "Oh, I work for the Coil Coders," they would kind of glassy-eyed and look at you, and it was difficult to explain what that industry did. But most people you come in contact with have the experience of dining out in some in some way, shape, or form. So that's what's always been fascinating. But that and the entrepreneurial nature of NASA members, there you're all smart. You're smart, you're, you're customer focused, you're interesting, you're creative, um, and we get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. It's, it's interest. It's, it, it's easy to see what comes out of what our member companies do. So um, I love the manufacturing side of it and the contribution it makes. It's what the fourth largest industry in, in the country. Um, it's way more global than it was when I started to, uh, and just that experience of, of uh, getting to experience hospitality around the world is what I think sets NAFM apart from other organizations.
0: Well, you said something there about getting bigger around the world and, and NAFM, the North American Food Equipment Manufacturers Association, by definition, does it, is it, are you, only focused in the North American markets or you just mentioned getting broader worldwide. Is that an area you're also involved with or?
2: NAFM has two levels of manufacturing membership. Active members are considered those who manufacture in North America. And then we have affiliate members who manufacture anywhere in the world but they sell into the North American market. So that's the differentiator. And I think um, over the years we used to be Pre-1998, NAFM was the National Association of Food Equipment Manufacturers. In 1998, we broadened that to say North American, understanding that we have Canadian and Mexican members um, of the association. And then in 2007, we added the affiliate member category because there were so many, uh, there were companies who were selling into the North American market, and we wanted to capture them and capture that um opportunity for you to network with those companies and all i think membership at first was concerned that the floodgates were going to open and there were going to be tons of companies coming in from from outside of north america but you know what it takes as a north american company to market your products globally it's the same coming back across the water you know the commitment to the north american market was what we wanted to see um, more or less. So there are about, and have always been about 20 companies outside of North America that are NAFM members.
0: And, and for those, and maybe I jumped ahead a little bit, um, but you know, a big part of what NAFM does is you're you're an advocate. You're you're looking out for the industry, and um, so some of the things that you do in education, and again, advocacy, and, and philanthropy. Now you're you're big and all that. You're can you just touch on a couple of those types of things—the things you provide to the industry, NAFM, for the members?
2: So education is incredibly important. And about thirty years ago, NAFM started an individual certification program called the Certified Food Service Professional designation. Mm-hmm. So an individual in the industry, at our, in the industry, so not just limited to our members, but across the industry, can. Um, take a course and sit for a comprehensive examination and earn the CFSB credential, which really recognizes their commitment to continuing education, professionalism, um, industry advancement.
0: It's quite a test. I, re- I remember taking the test. It it was not a, not a gimme. You had to put some time into it.
2: Not at all, not at all. And fortunately over time, people have realized that you can say, oh, I've been in the industry for 20 years, so I'll just take the test. And it, it's not that easy because usually, you are very dedicated to a certain segment of the industry and the test is really comprehensive. Mm-hmm. You have to understand how furniture in a restaurant is tufted and um, <laughs> smallwares and, and the utility requirements to operate, ovens and refrigerators and 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 also it's it's a very and how the industry works, how the channel works. Key partners are um, how mm-hmm. people typically go to market, the difference between a stocking distributor and a, and a dealer distributor, all of that um, mm-hmm. is included in that. But education so there's a certification program. We've also done specialty conferences over the years, and every other year and even years, we do an executive level educational program for our senior execs at FA member companies. So, education is a big part of what we look to offer, and that's trying to connect you with resources. It might not necessarily be industry specific, but might be topic specific. So if there's great sales training available, um, if there's, it doesn't necessarily have to be focused specifically on our industry. Um, We also started, uh, we built a learning management system and a number of courses are offered online we have bundles for onboarding new associates and we have sales training and leadership training that's all available to a member to take and and the industry at large to take courses as they deem fit to improve their skills advocacy is huge too so we are we try to be a voice and advocate for you when federal and state regulations, especially through EPA and DOE and that affect the manufacturing process, could impact your ability to do business. Um, Certainly taxes, trade, tariffs, also big opportunities. Right now, we're um, trying to navigate through a new recycling law in Quebec that will significantly impact members' abilities to sunset products and the liability that a manufacturer has through its channel um, on on disposing of those products, kind of similar to WE Ross regulations that went through Europe a couple of years ago.
3: Um,
2: We cooperate and collaborate with members any way we can on getting in front of legislators. Uh, We did some virtual fly-ins about a month ago with seven different senators and congressmen to talk about the issues that are impacting the industry. So we might be a small industry, small segment of the overall food service industry, but we, we're getting a larger voice and we're getting recognized as an organization that regulators and legislators can come to to understand the industry more. So it kind of goes back to our overall educational mission on explaining how the industry operates.
1: That's, I mean, I always knew that advocacy was, was part of your guys' foundation, but I, I had no idea the level and depth that you guys are going into, and that's, that's incredible. How, how do you guys keep your finger on the pulse? Uh, is it when people come to you, when members come to you and be like, hey, we got this going on, what can you do for us? Or, or are you guys just constantly moder- monitoring the situations in North America that are relevant to, to your partners and members?
2: It's a combination of both. So Charlie Serrata on our headquarters team is our VP of Technical and Regulatory Affairs. Um, Charlie has a cadre of people supporting him. So our law firm in DC, Barnes and Thornburg, they track, there are four different uh, folks within the law firm that track different issues for us and have relationships on the Hill that have helped us to Uh, prepare testimony, to uh, file information back on a federal register notice um, uh, notifying the industry that there's going to be a regulatory change. Um, They organized the virtual fly-ins that we did last month. Um, We have a monitoring service that keeps us abreast of, of issues, we also collaborate and work with other industries that are impacted by regulatory and legislative change. National Association of Manufacturers, the Association of Heating, Air Conditioning, and Refrigeration. We've worked with a coalition on steel tariffs and steel issues of of manufacturers that use steel, buy steel all the time. So Charlie's kind of like the central point for all of that. We get members calling in, expressing something that's happening in their state, and then we turn people loose um, in that state and follow. Uh, to share information, the technical liaison committee within NAFM is a committee of members who are all on the engineering, regulatory, monitoring, um, usually standards. They're the connection to standards, to the utility companies and to testing. Um, That committee works extensively to kind of set up issues in subgroups. And they also serve as a feed to us on what needs to be tackled um, on the federal stage, basically, so.
1: A lot of moving parts. <laughs>
2: it's a company. Yeah. it takes a village. Right, it takes a village.
1: Is labor in one of those
0: things right now that you're?
2: Labor is huge, right yeah. now. So oh. NAM reports, the National Association of Manufacturers reports weekly for us what the jobs rate is. And we just published out yesterday that joblessness dropped by 29,000 jobs last week which was the highest it had been but all you hear from everyone still is labor is a huge concern so between supply chain and labor right now that mm-hmm. that's the nightmare it's the one to punch uh, for member companies
0: yeah we are we are struggling on that front um my mom is still running her restaurant and um that's her biggest issue is labor. Yeah. And you want to find out how important that uh twelve, fifteen dollar dishwasher is, just have them not show up one night. Right. right. <laughs> Pretty important position.
4: Exactly. She, exactly.
0: Um, I, I know I was um, I started an in industry at that and um, was actually called by her a few weeks back to work as a dishwasher one night when she had no <laughs> one else. She called and said she was in trouble. So of course, family business, there I go. So Mm-hmm. Have you ever worked in the industry? Is that is that something? Have you ever spent um, mm-hmm. I- at operator level?
2: I was a bartender.
0: Ah, well, that's a fits. long period of time. Perfect um, people person it. type. Yep, absolutely
2: yep. loved it. Um, when after college and before I moved to Chicago, I was working at the paper by day and I was bartending in the uh, by night. And I had been away from home for so long that a lot of people didn't realize it was me behind the bar. And mm-hmm. I worked at a bar that was. Um, open an hour later than any other bar. So after last call at the bars in oh. the town that I lived in, everybody came to this bar. So when you think your last hour of work at two o'clock in the morning is is slow. Not at that bar. We were packed for an hour for an no, hour. That's, yeah, that's where but all the
1: that's where all the chefs and other food service people went when they're exactly. done. Cleaning. I
2: love I, to this day. I love to bartend. I think that's it's just a hoot. Um, people tell you their stories and when it's slow and there's always something interesting uh, when it's big and it's fun to people. watch. Uh, well, especially as,
0: ju- as Justin said, when you're in the the place that the chefs and the servers end up going to after their shift. And, uh, and remember they work till 11, 12, you know, midnight. So they're ready to go for a few more hours. So those bars that are open extra late have a, a good crowd of, of that uh, clientele. And, Absolutely. you know, being in the industry, you get a sense of like the type of people as we talked a little bit earlier, um, caring, giving, um, family is a, is a thing that comes up a lot on the podcast here when we talk to people about the business. You just find those types of people that it just becomes like a family atmosphere. And, I, and you know, it, throughout everything we've been doing, we've been hearing so many good stories of what restaurants who are struggling have done to help people during this time. And I know NAFM has done quite a bit as well with um, Feeding America.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a big um, program that NAFM has done. Can you just talk a little bit about what NAFM has done there?
2: So initially, NAFM never got into the philanthropy game, so to speak. Um, they always felt that there were so many worthy causes out there, and it would be so fractured because usually, as as presidents turn over um, on the NAFM board and within the NAFM leadership, you would find that you were adjusting to a person's cause versus maybe an industry cause. Well, as as time went on through the last five, six, seven years and labor has been such an issue, one of the things we really studied was what's important to people entering the workforce. And Nefa done a lot to try to explain how varied and interesting our industry is as a career choice to people coming out from engineering down to IT, to sales, to marketing, that there's an opportunity based on what your skill set is and what you wanna do on the food service side. It's not just flipping burgers necessarily. And that's the, the picture I think that a lot of people have in their head about what the industry is all about. And one of the things in our surveying that we discovered was people wanna go to work for companies that give back and allow them balance in their life and provide for their community and contribute to their community. And with that, we started talking a couple of years ago about not from getting engaged in social purpose and looking at a way of engaging our members in a program, too. But how could how could we support that to be able to better tell the story of why the industry is is a great place to grow your career? And our members are, were doing way more of this long before we were engaged with it too, overall. So we decided that um, it had to be food service related and what better way than to, to feed people. And we launched our social purpose platform. Our first partnership has been with Feeding America. We're in our second year. We launched it in February of 2020 at our annual meeting. And then the world went on lockdown a month mm-hmm. later. <laughs> So talk about timing is everything, um, mm-hmm. getting engaged in something like that and encouraging people when everybody was doing everything they could to keep their own doors open, to keep their associates safe, to serve their customers. But I could not be prouder of NAFA members. We raised a million three last year for Feeding wow. America, and that equated to 13 million meals to those
4: who
2: need. And uh, we matched. So, we donated $500,000 to Feeding America, and then we matched up to another $500,000 that members contributed. And the best part about this program is the money that NAFA members contribute and donate stays at the local level and stays in your community. So, when you donate, it goes to your local Feeding America food bank, and we match to that a lot of our members also work through other organizations some of them are downstream from the local feeding america food bank Uh, so we we match to the feeding america food bank so this year uh, we reduced that based on circumstances and um, we have a formula for how we take the growth in our investment account and then use that for our social purpose platform we had five hundred thousand dollars to work with this year versus the million that we had last in 2020 when we launched the program so we donated three hundred thousand dollars this year to feeding america and we're matching up to two hundred thousand dollars so we were, uh just about halfway to that goal september is hunger awareness month so we'll be pushing out a lot of information to members on how to engage but really the best part of our program is that you can take a dollar and you can turn it into four. So if you donate a dollar as a company and your associates donate and you match what your associates donate, that turns it into $2. And then we match your total contribution, which turns it into three. And oftentimes your local food banks will have programs where if donors, they'll match to what donors do too. So That can even turn it into four. So. Great program. We are excited that in October, we're announcing a second relationship that we will, uh, become a partner with. Oh. Um, and I would think that maybe in 2021, this still has to get committee approval, but maybe in 2022, sorry, keep forgetting that we're in 2021, 2022, there could be an opportunity to match to Feeding America or maybe also to match to our new program that we're going to announce. All right.
0: Good stuff to look forward to there.
2: The other thing we're looking to do is we are looking to start a scholarship program. Um, For years, we've contributed to the NRA Education Foundation and have a corpus there where we can usually award two $2,500 scholarships to hospitality students. And we think it's time that we did our own. So we are going to, we're in the process of investigating how to manage and create a scholarship program, which takes a little bit of time. And of course requires a different kind of software program to manage it than we have, (laughs) and then we have to bridge it to every database we have. So Uh, if I sound annoyed by that, it's like technology can be a friend, but sometimes man, it is just, yeah,
4: (laughs) yeah,
0: it is. You talked about um, your board members and, and mm-hmm. the way you structure your board is it's industry. Well, it, it's it's members, right, who serve a two or three year term, I think, is it right? And then so how do you how do you do that with, um, for example, you've got a member may who may be strong in, let's say, equipment or refrigeration or and how do you make them kind of check their hat, so to speak, or. I've heard, I think, Paul Egbert, our, our vice president in um, start of Smallwares, say that he he just gets this sense that um, everybody's there for the good of the industry. And, and
2: yeah.
0: you know, uh, can you just talk, I guess, a little bit? I've, I've got a couple yeah. of topics there for you. but um, yeah.
2: So a uh, big common myth is that you say, hey, well, I want to be on the NAFM board, and somebody makes that decision and puts you on the NAFM board. And in fact, the NAFM board is elected by the members. So it's elected by the manufacturer members of NAFM. So there's a nominating committee for directors and that nominating committee usually consists of the officers and the most recent past president of NAFM. And we keep a running list of people that have said, hey, if there's an opportunity to get engaged, I." I'd love to be involved in a committee. I'd love to serve on the board. We keep a running list of that. And then at any given time, we have 300 to 350 people from NAFM member companies who are working on our committees and working groups. So that's a great place to, to, to look at somebody that's been very active and very engaged and has a has a skill set that could enhance a NAFM program or service that we kind of tap into. So the nominating committee will look at balance across the board. They'll look at heavy equipment, middleware, smallwares. They'll look at independent and corporate ownership to keep a balance to make sure that the board is really reflective of what the membership is. And they put together a ballot and the members actually vote. There's uh-huh. about a six week voting period and the members elect you to the board. Um, you serve a three-year term, and then you're eligible to ser- to rerun to serve a second three-year term. Um, and you have to sit out a th- one term, a three-year term, if you were to go off the board and not move up into an officer position, and you wanted to come back on the board. Um, but I don't think okay. we've ever had anybody come back, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> well, it's, um, a, it's
0: a commitment. It's a lot uh, of
2: work, and it's a commi- yeah. it is a commitment, but. They really do. It's, it's. I think that's one of the other things that always made me wanna have the opportunity to continue to work with NAFOM. Everybody mm-hmm. does check their individual company hat at the door and they look collectively at what's best for the industry, mm-hmm. but they also bring their company expertise and knowledge base into that decision-making yeah. process, which is so important because you are the practical examples of whether or not something we, as, as the staff, suggest we might want to do as a program or service. You all are the reality check to say, that would never fly in, in our setting. Or do you realize that it's really difficult to pull those people into something that's going to last for three days instead of three hours, you know, or something along those mm-hmm. lines? So, um, incredibly committed. They meet four times a year in even years, they meet three times a year in odd years because they never meet during the NFM show because you're all too busy selling stuff. And they have other responsibilities at the NFM show in comparison. Um, And each June we revisit the strategic plan and make sure we're on tap. And then in between them, they are, especially this board currently is probably the most active board we've had in a long period of time because they've had to manage all of their, the first meeting we had in a a year and a half was in June. Face to face, but everything else has been done virtually, including mm-hmm. committee meetings and and lots of email back and forth on managing things. Um, so, incredibly talented group of people that can do strategic planning online.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: that's what Paul. He, he was real, uh, really stressed that he feels everyone that's there really is doing it for the good of the industry, and they are. that that
4: they really are
0: if you understood how kind of the layout of the board and you said, well, these are members, you could see how it might shift heavily if more people were heavy equipment people or more people were light. But he said, it's just really, none of that goes on. It's just a really good group. He was really impressed by how much everyone did check their hat at the door. So that yep. was,
2: that's the, impressive. The other myth about NAFM is everybody thinks that NAFM is made up of huge companies, and 60% of the NAFM membership is under $10 million in, in, A company size and 42% of that 60% are under $5 million companies. Only 8% of the membership is over a $100 million company. So when they come into that room, they never forget the little guy and they never forget Nephem's roots. Natham's roots has always been the independent company that got started, family based business, and you know. All of that, um, and it's changed as the world has changed um, overall. But they're they're very committed to making sure that their decisions are representative of the people that make Netum as strong and great as it is.
1: So we've touched on some of the benefits that everyday owner operators, users have, you know, through your philanthropy efforts, through scholarship, that kind of thing. What are some other uh, other benefits that that end users can see that kind of trickle down from from NAFM's efforts.
2: Um, certainly, technology transfer is important in any organization, um, and just the sharing of information and knowledge. I think. I, th- I actually, I think Paul has said it best recently that NAFM for the end user for the operator community. Wants to be viewed as the independent trusted source, trusted resource. That you know if the, the process to be an a member is incredibly complicated and incredibly long in discussion. So um, you have to be in business for more than a year, for a year at least, making and selling product. You you have to manufacture, whether or not that's brick and mortar manufacturing or you have contracted that manufacturing, or you're the selling arm of your parent or your sister or brother company that sells for you. But it's a very long process. And it was designed like that because they want companies to be around for a long period of time for the industry. They don't want, I think when I started, they used to call them trunk slammers. They don't want people that are trunk slammers, <laughs> you know, just coming in and out of membership yeah. and having products be deemed as fly-by-night. So I think what you see, and, and Richard, you've probably seen this as we've had the opportunity to travel the world to, to other shows and look at how other products around the, the world are built and made. You know, I can remember comments that the U.S. North American manufacturing is solid and it's quality and it's dependable and it's reliable and the stuff works and all of that, but the aesthetics of European equipment is is much Prettier, it's, yeah. it's a beautiful design. They look at it from the design perspective first, and the engineering process second, and and we do the reverse, you know. Overall, mm-hmm. but um, I think it's being that trusted source, being that solution provider, of whether or not it's labor's an issue. So, how can you um, ease the operation of a piece of equipment so that anybody could do it in the kitchen when you're strapped for people and time? What about multifunctional? Think of how multifunctional equipment, uh, yeah, multifunctional equipment came into into play. That
4: right.
2: you know now there's there's ovens and heating technology that allows you to to cook three different things in the same oven in a different way. Um, control factors and and um, and. Uh, multilingual pieces of equipment too so that you can you can balance who's operating it at any given time certainly um robotics is now a, a big thing uh and how can you deploy that labor differently and maybe more effectively uh with these with assistance of what robotics can do um, so i think it's always being that solution provider and and living in their shoes for a while i can remember um, when Natham first went self-op and we had a customer advisory task force in place and it was uh, major chains, it was fast casual restaurants, and it was um, some leading consultants um, for the non-commercial side of the industry. and And they talked about the importance of having you work in the operation to really understand what the need was and spend a day watching their systems and their processes so you could come to the table with something that could help them save money, improve product, grow, you know, all of that. So I think that's, that's the main thing that NEPM does. It, it tries to provide the resources so the member company can be that great solution provider to the industry.
0: I know one of the things I always look forward to is the um, size and shape study that NAFM does, Mm -hmm. and you know providing that type of information to the manufacturers on what makes up our industry, how many different types of products there are, and the segments and everything that goes together. There, you mentioned robotics, and just when you can see that trend kind of growing steadily year to year. Do you do do all that data mining yourselves, or where do you, where you? Because I know you have member.
2: That's contracted contracted okay That's contracted out to research houses we don't have that capability in-house to be able to do that but ours is as you know is one of the most underreported industries around uh, there is just so little information um, I think over time we've really fine-tuned the size and shape study to have it be a valuable piece of research for member companies and, uh, and knowing what's on and and you're right it's complicated when it comes to products there are what, some 700 products, I think, that NFO member companies make um, you know, over time. So uh, we have size and shape. We also make available research from Data Essential, which is basically consumer attitudes. And then Data Essential's done some operator studies for us on what operator equipment needs are, equipment and supply mm-hmm. needs are over time. Um, We'll have another operator survey with Data Essential launching and in the field in October with the final report um, delivered to us by the end of the year. This will be our second with them, but Data Essential information is fabulous. If you go to their website, um, there is um, a wealth of webinars that they do on consumer preferences, food choices, food and flavor trends, all of that. And then NAFM also worked with them. Um, they've got a really comprehensive database called Firefly, where you can um, drill down to a region or a city-specific market and find out what the growth of pizza restaurants has been, or how much how much Thai food is in the marketplace um, overall. Hmm. We did a scale-down version of that exclusively for NASA members, so NASA members can find it on their member dashboard um, and access Firefly to get some stats about restaurant openings and closings and uh, kinds of cuisine available in a marketplace if you're looking to expand into a, into a new market.
1: Wow,
0: that would be a fantastic tool for an operator to be able to log into. Is it just available free for anyone if they go to Data Central sites? Uh, data, no, not data. Firefly.
2: Firefly is a very costly uh, um, offering okay. Fire, that Data Central has, but a lot of the information in the a lot of the free material that Data Central has on their website for operators and for manufacturers is um, is on their as a result of data that they've pulled from Firefly. So, okay. We also release um, Miller Pulse um, weekly restaurant stats every week. That's up on the member dashboard press two. And then our last piece of research that um, we purchase on members behalf is ITR economics study. So quarterly study from ITR economics, um, and then an ITR monthly advisor talks about the global marketplace, then drills down to food service, then specifically talks about the college and university market right now. And then the other studies that NAFM does, in addition to size and shape, we do a wage and compensation study. And we do a business planning study. Um, so 2022 is a business planning study year, and 2023 and 2022 is a size and shape year, and 2023 is a wage and compensation study year.
1: I, I don't know if we should shift gears right away, but I'm going to go for it. I enjoy going to trade shows. I'm always curious to know. What are some of the secrets and tips and tricks of the NAFM show in particular? You know, there's things that you got to know, like where the bathrooms are, you know, like you got to hit this booth first or they always have the craziest things or, you know. And you could both talk to this because I was really disappointed not being able to go this year because it it would be my first one. I have to look forward to the next one. But you guys you guys can fill me in on some of this to prep me
2: wait until 23 you were going to experience a show like no other um
1: nice
0: it's going to be
2: big and bold and fabulous because we'll be beyond all this and we'll be at a point where we can we hope be back together again so we're keeping yes. our fingers crossed and staying optimistic about that but um i think an attend for an attendee for uh uh a food service operator coming for the first time. They're always surprised by the size and you can never explain that enough about just how big and how comprehensive the show is. Uh, I think they like the idea that they like different things or attendees will tell us they like different things than what the manufacturer's exhibiting like. So they would love the show to be sectionalized because it's so big. Mm-hmm. We would never do that because our members can't do that. There's too many crossovers. That where would you where would you put your stuff? You know where oh, would yeah. where would be your primary space? Um, they love that it's dedicated to equipment and supplies, and that food is used to demonstrate how the equipment or supply product works. And it, but it's not intended to be a eaten from the show by any stretch of the imagination. They like that the leadership and engineering folks and sales folks are there because they can talk to the people who can give them their answers. So Mm -hmm. I think that's what's the most important part. The attendance is a quality attendance and um, and it's those people who can make decisions who come and that's who we look to get there. And likewise, from our exhibitors, we get everyone that can answer those questions. And we get the top brass participating in Mm -hmm. in the conference, too. And that's important to the operator, they want to know that you're, you're interested in them as a customer, and that your senior leadership is just as willing as their regional salesperson is to spend time with them.
1: How long should somebody plan to get through it? Like if they really Mm -hmm. wanted to take a comprehensive approach to the show? How much time Are they looking at investing and getting around and seeing everything?
2: I think they need, um, I think they need all three days. And I would tell you that they need at least five hours a day. Hmm. And you'll find that most attendees are nine to five. They're there at least the first two days. They're there third day is always the, the change point and is always slower, but Many attendees, many repeat attendees will tell me that's their favorite day because they can get around uninterrupted and they get more quality time with people in booths than having to stand and wait. Um I think they they like that there's always there's also education offered. Um and then we're kind of notorious for our parties too. So they like <laughs> the opportunity that that's a um, fact. you they were Kind of like the idea that you have those options of entertaining them at our events. Mm
0: -hmm. That's a fact. And the third day, I think, is also used. People might do a flyby on the first two days just because they kind of got to see what's out there. And then they make some notes of where they're going to go back. And they want that, that time, as you said, where maybe it's a little slower. They can spend more time in the booth. But you definitely see a difference in day one and two to day three. But there's people that, that you know, they, they've got that showdown to a science. I think they might even map out what their needs are and, and kind of look at the, the show floor and kind of map their route. So you, you've got all kinds. Then you got people that are just kind of strolling and checking out what's new and new and exciting.
2: We do so, a lot. We do some pre-education with first-time attendees. If they've told us they're first-time attendees, we basically take them through in a webinar and, sh- and sh- explain the floor to them when they have access what they're gonna to want to watch out for. Certainly new products are what attendees tell us they want to see all the time. So those monikers in your show listing information, those monikers in your in your booth in particular, is important for attendees mm-hmm. to see because they want to know what's new. They they know your stuff already. They're coming to solidify those relationships, but they really want to see what's new, what's different. And we have the advantage now that we're in February of releases happening at the NAFM show versus happening at NRA and then happening at the NAFM show in an NAFM year in the fall when we used to be in the fall.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but everything that we do now is focused on uh, what the experience is that we're trying to create. Um, and, and that's the new buzzword, right, in terms of marketing. It's, yeah. Are you creating the right customer experience? And the same thing goes for, you know, the NAFM show wouldn't exist if it wasn't for our members. And it's odd in trade show in the trade show world that your members are exhibitors at a trade show. Usually it's the reverse. Vendors are looking to a member base of a trade association to sell them things. And we know that while they come to the show and they're an important part of the show, we don't want those people who wanna sell to you to be the first first people that you see in your your booth when the show opens. We want that, that end user to be there for you in comparison. So it's important to us that we focus on ways that we can make your trade show experience easier for you, whether or not that's through technology, we provide lead retrieval to you. You don't have to pay for lead retrieval like you do at other shows. Um, The cost of space for our show is well under the industry average, so we are the most cost effective show for you to be in. There's a lot of conversation from people on why don't we do it every year, but truth be told, the buying cycle isn't that way. And your customers have said to us, don't do that. that, that messes us up and that ruins things for us. So every other year is important. Mm -hmm. And it's just like this year in particular, so many people have said, well, why don't you just do the show in 22 if you can't do it in 21? It's not that easy to move a show the size and scope of NAPM into Mm -hmm. a different pattern. So keep in mind that we take up a million one gross square feet of space to pull off a NAPM show. There's not very many places in the country that...
1: Uh, Well, you know, it's a big show when it requires a tutorial for beginners, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Well, on that note, you you said, um,
0: you know, there's not many places in the country. We've been in Florida, which is a great location. We've been in a few others, but I know there's a commitment for how many years now in Florida? A-
2: no, that that changed, that again. changed in 2005. So 23 were in Orlando, 25 were in Atlanta ah. because Atlanta has built the connector. So there is one contiguous floor. You're not going over, up and over and through the woods and everything to get from the B hall to the C hall. Um, 27, we're back in Orlando, 29, we're back in Atlanta, 31, we're back in Orlando and we're working on 35 now.
0: Ah, okay. I know there's been uh, San Francisco, uh, New Orleans, there's been a lot of fun sites for. for
2: we only show. fit in New Orleans in Las Vegas, but Las Vegas doesn't want us because we're over a weekend um, and they don't have space until like 2040 or something along those lines. And <laughs> we are never in Chicago because of NRA. Um, we don't do New York because it's February and nobody wants to go to New York in February. <laughs> Not Anaheim. a good
0: customer experience in February. Not a good customer
2: experience. <laughs> and that's it. Atlanta and Orlando are the other two we fit in. We outgrew Anaheim. So until Anaheim adds on, we don't fit in Anaheim anymore. Oh, um, that was and, an Anaheim. And Dallas has two floors, and that's a no. We want one contiguous floor for the Nathan Show.
0: Right. So the the future, you know, we, we had a, this has been a, um, we talked a little bit on the front end here about this year. And well we'll leave it there but um, you know with all the trends to digital and virtual is there more that is going to be doing in that regard or are you still
2: we are un- we were going to unveil at the show but in come October we are going to unveil our digital platform which is called N+ Um, N plus will also serve as the show act for future shows, but we are not creating a virtual show. So N plus will be an opportunity for you to um, participate in education, sometimes live, sometimes stream, sometimes recorded. Um, It will be an opportunity for you to have company page as an FM member company and connect with operators. So those folks who are registered for the show for this year, are getting a, a free subscription to that. and the oh. information in N+ stays open until December of 22. In January of 23, it will convert to uh, the information that you'll use as the show app uh, for N for members in, um, in N+. And those people who participated in the 19 show, but we're not registered to come to the show in 21. They are the active group of customers that we are going to solicit to purchase a subscription to N+. So it will be a subscription-based platform moving forward. So quarterly, you can expect events and information and changing. Um, In October, we're gonna launch it with the content that we were gonna deliver at the NAFM show those will all be recorded and put up onto that platform. So you'll still get the education that we were going to do, um, just delivered a little bit differently.
4: Okay. You
2: know, um, one thing that should be noted is it, and it's not because it's your podcast either, but, Volreth has always been a huge supporter of NFP, and we do appreciate that. Richard, you've been on committees over time. Yeah. Um, that's how we met. Traveling the world and work on committees is how right. I got to know you. And certainly, Paul's on the Paul Egbert's on the board now too, mm-hmm. and providing great representation and great representation for the smaller side of the business. You know, he's he's the person that's always been a go-to for us to ask questions on how something would impact um, a smaller company or a company like Volreth. So. We appreciate that because NAFM is what it is because of the strength of its members. And, um, that's important. We get the opportunity to, to do what we do because of all of you. And that's what makes it special.
0: Well, thank you for that. But I, on the other side, we would say thank you and, um, NAFM, but you in particular, you're, you're, as I said earlier in the show, your drive, your, uh, commitment and, um, you know, the things that you do, the, the, network that you have with people in this industry is just phenomenal that um, you you get involved and there's a passion there for it for you so we appreciate that so thank you, and thank you uh, for spending time with us on this podcast Uh, we we enjoy bringing all areas of food service and I think again as Justin said this is certainly an area that a lot of people maybe didn't know a lot about but hopefully through today we hope to have educated them a bit Uh, one thing that we do with all of our guests is we ask if there is a quote or a saying or something that you have heard throughout your career that um, someone has said or you've read that inspires you or continues to drive you anything like that at you all know, you could share with our listeners today that's something that comes to mind
2: i think we all have a tendency sometimes to be afraid and so to overcome that fear a lot of people have always shared with me um, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. And I think that sometimes you have to take that plunge. You have to take that risk. And as long as it's not ethically or morally terrible in terms of what you're doing, you, it's, it's taking that chance and everybody learns from those types of things too. So that, and then my, I had the luxury when I was at Smith Buckland all those years to work with Bill Smith, the founder of the company. And we would, And brainstorm about things, and a task would come up, and I would always say to him, You know, Mr. Smith, we haven't done that. I don't know how to do that. We haven't done that before. And he would just look at me and say, Well, we're going to figure it out, aren't we? And sure enough, we would just figure it out. And Uh it always worked. It was if you listen to what the customer wants and you just go figure out how to get it for them. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, it always works, everything always falls together. So um, the opportunity to always learn, I think is an important part of everybody's day, everybody's career. So keep doing what you're doing and when you're passionate about it and you love it. That means that you're learning along the way.
0: Yeah. And a good can do attitude, right? If right? we'll figure it out, we'll just exactly. dive in and get it done.
2: Although well, I will say that for 2020 and 2021, we've learned a lot of new skills and I could go with a little break for a while.
0: <laughs> <that's> <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I know. We learned we how know. to
2: move a show. We learned how to cancel a show. Oh. We learned to, I'm, I'm done with, with new skills oh. for a little bit. Let's just get back to work.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think everyone <laughs> would agree. That's been so frustrating yeah. this year. Deirdre, again, thank you so much for the time today. We really thank appreciate so it. Much. And I know our... Listeners, uh, appreciate appreciate uh, all the insight you have in the industry and hearing your stories and tips and uh, all about NAFM. So we really appreciate your time. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in person again as soon as we can with our next show or before. But uh, for today, thank you again for being with us on the feed and have a great rest of your week.
4: Thanks. You too.
0: Well, that uh, went by quick. Um,
1: did, it really did.
0: Yeah. She is such a... a Knowledgeable and um, sincere and energetic person about the food service industry. And if you meet her, you just that the comment that I someone told me that she bleeds industry and she is just that type of person. She just gets involved and she knows everybody in the industry. So I'm really thankful uh, we got a chance to talk to her today. And I'm also thankful that we have Nate up next because you know when we're in the interview. It's just fun to listen to her and uh, to our guests. So Nate's just got that ability to bring it all together for us. So Nate, would you want to bring this one home?
3: Absolutely, Rich. And I, I appreciate the chance to do this at the end of it. I, yeah. at the end of every show. And I, I'm thankful for that opportunity. And I, I mean, I feel like I get to learn just as much as you guys get to learn throughout these shows. And I just, it's amazing how wide the world of food service is and how much there is to know. And I, I feel like we're just still scratching the surface. Um, in, in this case with NAFM, I mean, I've been aware of NAFM in, during my entire time at Valrath, but I learned so much and I just, how nice it is, especially during these times, but always to have an advocate in your corner, like NAFM, if if you're mm-hmm. someone who works for a company like we do, or as a, or as a member company. And I just feel like the way it can definitely also trickle down to end users is that, organizations like NAFM and people like Deirdre make sure that our companies are able to do our best work, which translates to the customer and having people like that on your side, you know, whether the end users see the obvious results of that or not, they are there. And it's just very important to our company that we we have a voice through organizations like that and that we can also learn as a company through organizations like that. So I think I think that it was just awesome. We were able to showcase that today. Um the only other thing I would add is that you guys did, you know, briefly talk about trade shows and and the and the getting the most out of your experience there. That's something I was definitely informed on once I started here at Valrath and getting exposure to trade shows and these larger industry gatherings and man, I, what a great opportunity. If you're someone who's involved in food service in any way just to learn and to see what's out there and to get a grasp of 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 what's going on in the industry and to keep your finger on the pulse. It's a phrase we use a lot, but it's true. Um, And I'm happy we talked through that, and highlighted that, because if if you are someone who is involved in this industry in any way, shape or form, and you are not taking advantage of trade shows, um, especially ones like NAFM, uh, you're definitely missing out. And I think that uh, it was good that we highlighted that there are so many awesome opportunities from networking to learning about new products to just just seeing what the industry is doing and getting and getting a feel for trends. Uh, Trade shows are just such a wonderful tool.
0: Yeah, those those if you if you go to them with a, a mindset of wanting to learn, you approach them with a little bit different attitude than if you're just going there for the party, you mm-hmm. know. And I think you go there with a with a different mindset, and uh, there is so much to learn. There's so much to see, and take advantage of it. If you're out there and you're thinking there's a trade show, uh, go with that mindset of just being there to learn and to to take that opportunity to learn from the people that are the experts on the products. So. All right. Well, Justin, any, uh,
1: any last thoughts from you? Yeah, I would once again like to remind everybody to hit that subscribe button so you, you don't miss any more of these conversations with food service industry professionals or chefs. There's just so much to be gained. And from every episode, whether whether you think it's directly applicable to you to you or not, there's like, like we always say, there's always that one nugget, at least one nugget where it'll uh, edify you for the day at the very least. So anyone,
0: uh, please also just make sure to reach out to us at loreth.com, the feed. and Let us know what you think. We really appreciate hearing from you. Lastly, do everything as if a customer is watching you and, you know, you'll be doing it right. Those are good words to live by if you're in the food service industry for sure. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week ahead. Until next time,
4: take care.